0: Welcome to Imperfection in Training. I'm Priyanka. I'm Maddie.
1: And we're just two 20-something somewhere out in the world asking what is art?
0: What is life? What is the, the universe? universe? Hi everyone. This is Imperfection in Training, and we are back today to talk about personality tests. One quick side note, if you hear a dog barking in the background, I
1: apologize. Hey y'all, it's great to be back again. So we're talking about personality tests today, because chances are Maddie and I are going to um, be, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Guys, the dog is really cute. It's just a bit excited right
0: now. (laughs) Yeah, she's very nervous around new people.
1: Oh, baby, it me in a dog.
0: (laughs) It's For real though, actually.
1: (laughs) Alrighty. So anyway, coming back to personality tests and why we're going to be talking about them today. Honestly, Maddie and I love these a lot. We talk about them all the time. They've been a big part of both of us finding new frameworks to understand ourselves and kind of work on self-improvement and self-improvement with compassion and trying to understand where we come from and perhaps what is important to us. Maybe have an expert quote unquote, help us figure out and suggest Maybe this is where your deepest fear lies, or wh- this is what your biggest motivator is. And kind of working through frameworks like that has helped both of us come to terms with a lot of things we don't necessarily like about ourselves, but also appreciate a lot of the great things about ourselves. It's been really good, I, I think, getting us to a fairly balanced like viewpoint. Of course, don't get me wrong, we're hella insecure every once in a while. But yeah, no, jokes apart, I-, I think the personality tests have been really, really good for us to come up with a way to push forward into continuing to be better because that's a priority for both of us um, and improving while not beating ourselves up for things that maybe are taking a bit longer than we might want them to. And also, the other thing is we're probably going to be referencing them a whole lot um, in upcoming podcasts, so it would be really helpful for y'all to know kind of our types and how we relate to them, but also just kind of, if you're not familiar with them, just to have a bit of a background in how we view them and how we
0: relate to them. So to give you a brief introduction to our types today we're going to be talking about the Enneagram and the Love Languages test. So... For me, my Enneagram type, I am a five-wing four, and that basically means I am internally conflicted between my head and my heart, and that kind of sums me up as a person.
1: It really does. (laughs) It is. I swear, when Maddie told me this, I was like,
0: wait, yes. Um, And then my predominant love languages are acts of service and quality time.
1: I am, uh, on the Enneagram, I am technically a two wing three but i i have a lot of both type 2 and type 3 in me depending on what parts of my life are being highlighted at that stage of my life the two wing three is it's called the hostess which uh, I, I i i had a cousin of mine see that and she looked at it and she looked at me and she goes this is you so there's that part which is true basically someone who actually i don't have a really cool one-liner the way maddie did <laughs> Um, but I think I think my my I think the way I see my relationship with two and three is that a lot of my character and my person is centered around the idea of love, and that's my two side and loving people lo- and people loving me and the kind of love I have in my life. And um, I mean, if that sounds like you, then yeah, you're probably you're probably somewhere along the lines of a two. And if and my three part is like there's a really ambitious part of me that ha- is un like ridiculously driven and ambitious and wants to get things done and um, kind of like type A, but but not really, like there's much more to a type three than like the type A personalities let on. So yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at with two and three.
0: So just in case you're not familiar with that Enneagram system, it is a set of nine different personality types that all kind of emerge out of a basic fear in childhood. This is sometimes called the childhood wound and it's basically your personality type is then kind of how you respond to that difficult experience that you face as a child and although we all kind of face all of them some of them will like imprint themselves more heavily in our personality and be more important in the formation of our personalities so the system as we know it now was developed by Oscar Echazo in Peru and Argentina in the 1960s although the actual symbol of the Enneagram has existed for centuries and its teachings also have links to Sufism, Taoism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, other major religions and various other scholars throughout history and all over the world. So like I said, there are nine types, but each type can also have a wing on either side of it. So for example, a two like Priyanka is, could be either a one wing or a three wing, a five like me could be a four, or could have a four wing or a six wing. And that means that basically you adopt some of the characteristics the type. With both Priyanka and I, our wings are very, very pronounced. We're almost like in between the two types, but still have a dominant type and the wing. The nine types are kind of grouped together in threes. um, And these are called the three centers. So there's the instinctive center, which is types nine, or eight, nine, and one. Um, And as you would imagine, these types are governed primarily by their instincts. Types 2, 3, and 4 are governed primarily by their feelings, um, and types 5, 6, and 7 are part of the thinking centre and are governed by their thoughts. The Enneagram also has so much complexity in it, which I will not go into all of here because it would be way too long and probably Probably not everyone is is as much of an enneagram nerd as i am (laughs) but one thing that i do really like about this system is that it has these different levels of development which are basically supposed to give you an idea of your emotional health and well-being and how you might be able to grow how your difficulties might manifest and it basically shows that no one type is better or worse than any other they all have things that can be good and they all have things that can be difficult which is i think a really well-rounded way of viewing personalities. There's also something called the instincts, which I'm not really going to go too much into. Um, And then also the arrow of disintegration or stress and the arrow of integration or growth, which is basically how do you deal with stress and how do you manifest growth? So I know that that is a lot of information. So I think maybe to kind of make that a bit more relatable, applicable and interesting. We can talk a bit about our individual types and like how they manifest for us, how this framework is useful in our lives or how we use it in our lives. I was
1: I was chuckling to myself when Maddie was talking about other people not being as much of an Enneagram nerd uh, as she is because I love the Enneagram but I definitely don't know as much. So y'all have to forgive my uh, ignorance a little bit. But yeah, so like I said before, I'm a two-wing three um, and relate quite heavily to both the two and the three. So the two is the helper and the three is the achiever. Um, that's kind of their, their, their title. The twos are uh, basically driven, um, I think their biggest, our biggest fear, I, if I remember correctly, is not being loved or something to that effect.
0: W- Something trivial, you know. Something <laughs> trivial, like just,
1: just nobody loves me, it's fine. Which, honestly, I swear I read that and I was like, wow, it's me. Um,
0: so how do you feel like knowing that you're a 2 wing 3 or identifying with that, how do you feel like that has helped you?
1: So I think what, one of the biggest things it's done for me is like, it gave me a second to breathe. I think something that I found really hard was I had this tendency to kind of look at something I don't like and be like well you piece of crap how could you possibly have this one thing about you that you don't like like god forbid you're human like you know and I think uh and I think the reason I had that is because I didn't have any real understanding of how these various things fit in together because they didn't make sense to me like on one hand I knew my priority has always been people my whole life like I've always prioritized the people in my life over almost everything else But on the other hand, I I am very, very ambitious. I just am. It's just, it's part of me. It's always been a part of me. And I couldn't always fit those two pieces in together. Taking the Enneagram and kind of figuring out where I stand with it was really helpful because it gave me the space to step back and be like, oh, I see. There's a lot in me that really identifies with both of these types. And there's a lot in me that calls out to both of these. So there is a way to strike a balance. And there is a way to be without like constantly beating myself up about the stuff that I'm not doing well, which is a very three thing to do as well it's like oh you're not perfect you're not achieving everything god forbid so yeah so and I think I think the other really good part about this was um because we talked about it all the time and we took it together and we did all of that I think it was fun to have someone who knew me so well go through it with me because then we could laugh at the stuff that was not so great because it is funny right I think if you're doing it alone and you're exploring yourself in such depth alone that's a bit scary because like I definitely lean a bit towards oh my god oh my god oh my god I'm the worst person ever and I think having you there and having that other person to kind of reflect that and be like haha that's kind of funny that's so true What kind of reminded me that I could step back and could just laugh about the fact that yeah it, it is funny it is funny when like some random okay not random but like a test is able to like make you feel validated
0: I think that that's like a huge part of why I love the Enneagram so much because I think that like as human beings we all like I think that fundamentally we all just want to be seen and I think that especially so much of contemporary society like really pushes people away from each other and alienates us from one another and then seeing something that is like wait I'm not a total weirdo (laughs) (laughs) like I'm not like the only person in the world who feels this way like that's great and then there's also part of me. So I am a five wing four. And the five is the thinker and the four is the individualist. My four wing is very strong. And there is definitely a part of me that is like, oh my God, yay, I'm not alone. But also, I want to be the most special four ever. None of the other fours are like me. I'm different and unique, <laughs> which is a very four thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fours are often called, are often thought of as the most like artistic or creative ones they tend to be very self-absorbed not in a shallow way but in a, like exploring their own emotional depths kind of way which if you've met me that <laughs> is the only thing i do <laughs> <laughs> um and then the five is called the thinker and fives tend to be very cerebral they tend to withdraw from the world when they become stressed or aggravated how they deal with that is withdrawing the five or I should say our fundamental fear (laughs) is, um, essentially like not being able to exist or support ourselves, having that real, like drive for self-preservation, um, and self-protection. And often that protection comes in the form of completely withdrawing into this like internal mind space instead of really engaging with the world. For me, finding the label of a five wing four was so useful because I constantly felt like yes I was artistic but I wasn't what people thought of as artistic in a lot of ways because I'm too like thoughts driven and too yeah just too thinking driven and the gap between the four and the five on the Enneagram diagram is actually the biggest visual gap between any of them and it's sometimes called like I forget like there's something void we'll just call it the void that (laughs) sounds nice and dramatic it it appeals to the four in me (laughs) um but basically the reason it's so hard for fives to reach that emotional side of themselves and it's so hard for fours to reach that analytical side of themselves because there is that gap between them and so being a five wing four or someone who is a four wing five feels that constant internal struggle because they are kind of at odds with one another but also so intrinsically tied up with each other and that is me in a nutshell. Constantly internally conflicted, withdrawing from the world but also wanting to understand every single emotion (laughs) in great depth.
1: I feel like y'all are gonna have very in-depth feels into us and I'm highly amused. Yeah, I think that's another
0: reason why the Enneagram can be so amusing, because like you said, like when you first come across it, especially, you're like, oh, this is just this test on the Internet. Ha ha ha. And then you fill it out and then you're like, I didn't pay for a therapy session. This is rude.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think so to go back to something that Maddie talked about briefly when uh, we were introducing the Enneagram and that you reminded me of while you were talking uh, was the whole not just the integration towards stress and like manifestation towards growth, but also the levels. One of the things I love about the Enneagram is the levels in each type. Um, so, the, so like, each type has like levels, I think, one through nine. And I think seven, eight, nine is unhealthy, four, five, six is mid, and one, two, three is like perfect. Um, and obviously, I'm like in the one, two, threes. No, I'm not. I'm probably, I fluctuate between one and six depending on the day. Um, but i think what was really good about those levels is like i think it added more again it adds more nuance i think one of the things that can be quite frustrating about anyone just kind of putting a label on you is that it suddenly becomes so restrictive it makes it like like i feel like if the enneagram were like any other like any other random like if it were a person coming and telling me oh you're the hostess that makes so much sense with you it it, sure sure it does but the thing that got me was like There are days when that hostess nest, quote unquote, is great. And there are days when that's just not very good at all. And the Enneagram allows for that. It allows for that push and pull of not having a good day and having a bad day and like having a crap mental health day and having a fantastic mental health day. Like all of that is accounted for because it it talks about where you can lean towards and what parts of what characteristics can come out in you when you're feeling less good in that in that self and in that character and when you're feeling better in that. So one of the things that twos can become is we can become actually quite manipulative because when when you feel like you're not being loved and you feel like you're losing out on that love you you can feel like there's no other way for you to gain love than to manipulate someone else into giving it to you and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take a second to be scarily vulnerable here i can definitely relate to points in my life where i've been like that like specifically i know high school was a really really hard time for me and i know that there are things that i've done that i'm not proud of at the time i can't think of anyone i've willingly hurt and see that's the difference as well that the enneagram was good as like Twos don't go out to hurt people. We just go out to seek love no matter what that takes, which can inev- unintentionally end up hurting people. and I'm sure I, I know I did, but I think it's one of those things that was helpful there too, because it helped me actually let go of a lot of high school and let go of what I did in the sense of let go with the learning, you know, like I don't think I'm ever gonna leave the lessons of what I did. But I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense that I did what I did because I was motivated by so-and-so, potentially. And that was just, I don't know, I think, I think it is important to be able to, like, be compassionate towards yourself in that way and know that even if you made a mistake, that doesn't define you just as much as... I mean, your successes don't define you as, mu- like, define you as much as your mistakes do, but they also, both of those don't define you at all, also. Like, all of those things coexist, and I think the Enneagram was very good for me for that was um yeah
0: totally yeah and i think it allows you to just yeah to be empathetic towards yourself which i think is something we often don't really practice doing very much and so like in your case of like looking back on high school experiences did you find that it helped to kind of like have this framework to be like oh i understand why i acted in that way it wasn't because i was trying to hurt people it was because like i had this other intention hmm now what and I'm feeling that way, maybe I can go about it in a different way. Because I feel like that's like definitely with a like withdrawing that I can do. I know that like in our friendship sometimes that's been an issue when I will suddenly get super offended that I feel like someone hasn't reached out to me enough and I'll withdraw and be kind of unfriendly and I'll probably be super obvious that I'm like not really happy with you (laughs) or I'll be deliberately argumentative because I'm unhappy. (laughs) And like, it's not good. And I don't ever feel good when I've done that. But then I think having this framework and being able to see like, oh, I was doing that as a way of protecting myself because of this fear that I have of not being able to do that Okay, now I can try and work on that. Now I can also not beat myself up about it. Especially like when Priyanka and I are having these conversations. Because we've spoken to each other so much about this. I can be like, having a five moment. (laughs) Or whatever. You know, like we have that a like shorthand vocabulary to talk about it. We don't need to go into like super long detail about like, well, I have this intense fear of not being able to provide for myself. So um, that's why I was annoying to you the other day. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with doing that, but it can get tiring when that same fear drives a lot of behavior to explain <laughs> it every single time. And it can just be useful to have a shorthand.
1: <laughs> no, for sure. And I think I think what you said actually is a big piece of it. And what I love about having this framework is arming yourself or not arming because ugh, I hate war related analogies, but preparing yourself for future for future moments where you might feel a certain way. But now you're you have the knowledge or you have some understanding, let's say, I don't know if you have the knowledge of yourself, because that's another rabbit hole that is far, far away. Um, but but you have some understanding of yourself enough to say, hey, okay, this is what I did last time. This seems to be where it was coming from. This is what I could potentially do this time to make it better. And then maybe you, maybe when you come across that feeling, again, you do it, you don't. But then you constantly are able to be more proactive in the way you approach these situations and, and the way you handle the situations. And eventually the hope is, I think, we can come to a point where you are behaving in a way fairly consistent with how you want to be behaving. And, I mean, of course, the, the, the big overarching hope here is that you want to be behaving in a way that's good. You know whatever that means to you and 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 you want to be behaving in a way let's say that's healthy i think is a bit more appropriate than good but yeah but i think that's what i really like about it is it gives you this it gives you it helps you put in place frameworks to understand that and move forward with that in a a healthier way
0: and so going on to the five love languages this i guess is more like directly i guess this more directly impacts communication
1: yeah so i think the five love languages first of all i realized that i forgot to tell you what mine are so i'll come to that in a minute but (laughs) um, but the five love languages i really love them because the the basic idea of the love languages is that people give and receive love in different ways and what that boils down to is that your understanding of what love looks like is different at its base that's what the five love languages are like talk about and i love that because that's definitely been true for me growing up with my family and even with a lot of my friends so what the five love languages as a test does is it helps you understand how you perceive love and also how and how someone else perceives love so if you have so with me and maddie we have different love languages we we can then learn how to both give love in the way the other receives it, but also recognize when they are like, showing us that they love us, so that it's not only on one or the other to keep pushing and trying to make sure that the other feels loved or like, recognizes that. So that said, there are five love languages. They're touch, quality time, acts of service, gifts, and words of affirmation. The only two that I think me- need a slight explanation are like acts of service and words of affirmation, maybe? Because I know access service took me a little bit to understand because I didn't quite get it right off the bat.
0: I I'm, can give a brief explanation to that because that is my primary love language. It's basically doing things for other people to make their life easier. So when you offer to like, let's say you're going to get groceries, you ask your roommate like, hey, do you want me to get you anything so that they don't have to go to the grocery store? You cook someone dinner because you know they've had a long day. Or you offer to do someone's washing up because you know that it would make their evening a little bit easier and they'd be able to relax. It's basically doing something, generally small things, to just, like, ease someone's day-to-day life, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, totally. And words of affirmation actually is fairly self-explanatory. There we go. But, yeah, I mean, it's just telling, using words to tell someone that you love them, essentially, um, and using words to build them up. So my primary love languages, my my top two are touch and quality time and funnily enough quality time is is the love language that cemented Maddie's and my friendship because we didn't actually go into our friendship knowing about the love languages acts of service is something that I think is either my lowest or second lowest and yeah
0: and I know that gifts is also one that is important for you and both gifts and touch are like very the two lowest down for me so we like definitely (laughs) didn't have a A lot lot of overlap 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 (laughs) um but I think with quality time like Obviously, as you can tell from this podcast, we enjoy having in-depth conversations about things, (laughs) (laughs) and, like, that's definitely how quality time manifests for us in our friendship. I mean, I think that that can be different for different people. I know, like, some people, quality time means, like, doing an activity together. Personally, that doesn't mean as much, let's say, playing a game or, like, going to The cinema with someone doesn't like mean as much to me as like having a conversation, but I know some people find those shared experiences are like real manifestations of quality times. There are obviously like nuances and differences, but yeah, for us it was really interesting when we like found this test, especially like I remember one birthday, one of your birthdays, you were really upset because a lot of your close friends had been either late with their presence or had just forgotten about presents, and I remember you telling that to me and I had been one of those people who like had totally like who had been late and then forgotten and then had a plan and then was even more late and basically just like a bit rubbish <laughs> and obviously as soon as you said that I felt really bad but I also didn't really understand at the time because like it wasn't it wasn't something that would have upset me and so having this framework made it so much easier for me to be able to understand like oh well it doesn't matter whether it would upset me or not like it upsets my friend (laughs) and it's a priority for my friend and for them to feel the love that I want to show to them I have to make an effort to like translate it at least part way
1: for sure and yeah and to explain my gifts a little bit because I think Maddie was a big part in like me feeling less ashamed about the fact that gifts was part of my love language, which also like anyone out there who has gifts as their love language, we should not be feeling ashamed about this. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think but... it's so
0: stupid that it's like I feel like the stereotype is that it's
1: more materialistic. like shallow or materialistic
0: when yeah. I don't think that's the case at no. all. Like it's feeling as though someone like I mean, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously <laughs> you're the expert on this, but from what I can understand from the perspective of someone who is not one of my <laughs> love languages, is that it's about like someone putting someone a knowing you well enough and putting the time and thought into choosing something specifically for you yeah so it's almost like showing like physically showing that closeness Mm -hmm. and
1: exactly that's a big big part of it is because i know like i i'm not someone who gives gifts all the time but when i do give gifts i like think about them a lot and i try to i like look until i find the thing that resonates perfectly for me with this person and the way our relationship works and it is really important to me so like and conversely like i don't expect gifts all the time and it's not like i'm because gifts is just not my first it's my third but like on days like my birthday or like if there's a holiday that's important to you or a day that's important to you as like a person in my life and like giving gifts is something you do on that day then like it would have a little bit of importance to me to like feel like I'm someone important enough that you would give me a gift on that day. And I I don't know if that sounds strange, but like that's exactly what it is. And the other part of it is also that like if you like came across something and you thought of me and then like you got that for me, that also means a lot because it's like, oh, you think about me enough and you care about me enough to like be reminded of me by something you came across in a random context like That gesture of, hey, I love you enough to be thinking of you out of nowhere or I know you enough and love you enough to like have those things connect in this way also means a lot. And yeah, I think and there's a lot of I person I am a quite a physical person as also evidenced by the touch piece of this because touch is massive for me oh my goodness Maddie and I've <laughs> had multiple conversations about this because touch isn't massive for Maddie uh but and which is fine because we've, we've found a way to make that work but like I like even with comforting someone like I it is literally easier for me to comfort you if you're physically next to me because I will actively use my hands and like go get your water and like do things like that because I Play a lot off of someone else's physical, like body language, and like the way they behave and work, and like, like their words are almost a little less important than how they're being. Not, not to say, not that I don't pay attention to your words, but you know what I mean. And like, touch yeah, is totally. just so big for me. And like the same way with how I receive it, like the way someone grabs my hand or like says hello, like all of that say a lot to me about how they are as a person. I just communicate a
0: lot through touch. It's so big, um, and gives, that's actually really. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting because it just made me think of um, a link between the Enneagram and the five love languages because fives are kind of notorious for not being very like present in their bodies mm-hmm. because of that whole like withdrawal thing mm-hmm. being very like yeah a bit like physically like shut off and so I just find it really interesting that I'm a five and also like touch is very low yeah for me in terms of how I give and receive love but I think something that's also interesting is that I do feel like that's kind of changed not so much in terms of the, I think that maybe touch used to be like in fourth place and now I think it's maybe gone up to third place Mm -hmm. or something because both you and also my romantic partner, both of your love languages are touch. And I think because you know, like two super important people in my life, like communicate their feelings that way. Like I do think that some of that has had an impact. And I think that it's definitely, I mean, definitely reduced the discomfort or the awkwardness that I feel around showing emotion through touch. I wouldn't say that it's a huge way that I feel love, But I think it's, well, I don't know. I think that that I definitely do feel more comfort through that than I used to. And I think a big part of that has to do with like being really close with two people who do primarily express and receive love through through that way.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. And I think like for me, acts of service is something I've gotten a lot, lot better at since meeting you and since like actively recognizing that's like something that matters to you. Because what acts of service for me, what it's taught me is to be more aware of what someone might or might not need, and I'm still working on it, obviously I'm, I'm, I don't have it down, but I think it, it it's taught me to be much better at paying attention to someone's daily routine, paying attention to what can be helpful, and trying to like just notice that and kind of help out a little bit and it's turned out and turned into a really good thing because um, I think especially as people get busier, even if acts of service isn't necessarily their love language, it is something that is helpful, just plain, helpful. And just being able to do that and being able to be watchful for that, I think, is quite a good thing to do in general and a good thing, to, a good skill to have, again, to build on. Totally.
0: I also find it so interesting that you feel as though acts of, some, acts of service is something that you need to work on, because I remember one interaction that we had where it was when Priyanka and I were in a bookstore and Priyanka bought me a book and it was really lovely of her and I really appreciated it and it's an excellent book, everyone should read it. It was wonderful. Um, Do you want to tell them what it it's is? It's called if you... Go Went Gone by Jenny Ersbeck, so good, very emotional, made me feel all the feelings. It was amazing. <laughs> and then after we left the bookstore, Priyanka asked me whether, that, whether I perceived that as an act of service, and I didn't because I perceived that as a gift. And then Priyanka, it seemed to me as though you felt like disappointed in that. But then I pointed out a time where you had just like offered to help me with like moving some like boxes and stuff over the summer. And you hadn't even clocked that as an act of service because it was just something you did instinctively. And so it wasn't that you weren't doing acts of service. I think it was more that like you weren't seeing love being communicated through them. And I think that that's really interesting because like, so for example, like with me, and i think either like words of affirmation or gifts like i like both of those things and like i like giving both of those things i just don't perceive them as a way to communicate love And so it's not that I don't think those things don't have value or I don't do them instinctively. It's just that's not... It's just something separate from, like, communicating love. And it's so interesting because, like, I wonder if that's kind of what... Or some part of your experience with acts of services is that you saw as, like yeah like convenience being useful but not necessarily communication of love
1: yeah definitely and i think i think that's exactly what it is because i remember the i remember the interaction you're talking about and i i think about that a lot too and i kind of remind myself that like that was an act of service <laughs> and that was something that meant a lot to you because i know you're you're totally right i think for me i was just like like i can't think of any way any other way to be except have been like yeah we're moving from from the same place to the same place of course i'm taking your boxes with me like i just Like, of course, like it just no other way of being made sense. And you're right. I didn't even clock that that was like not a thing I would have done. I just I don't know. It was so you're totally right. I think it's one of those things of like I think that's another thing I love the love languages and personality tests in general for is like it really teaches you how to see the same thing from a different perspective, because you and I have such wildly different understandings of those same the same actions it's the same action both obviously we know it's coming from a place of love because we love the other um of each other same difference but the way it means something to us is so different and i think that's really interesting that piece
0: yeah totally and i think that's also just a good reminder that people are so different from one another mm-hmm. and it's really easy to assume that people communicate in the same way as we do or people see the world in the same way as we do i mean not really in terms of morals or ethics although that is also true people do see the world very differently but i mean more in terms of like the mechanism the way that people interpret things yeah i hope that distinction makes sense
1: <laughs> yeah no it does for sure and i think yeah. it is a good place to sort of wrap up part one of personality test um, because we're definitely going to be coming back to this a bunch but I think let's kind of leave it there because that was a bunch of info at you (laughs) Um, (laughs) but we would love to hear if y'all also do the enneagram and what your love languages are and if you have any in common with us if you don't and if you like if any of this stood out to you or didn't
0: or like if you hate personality tests and you think they're complete rubbish (laughs) like we want to hear that too yeah we want to hear everything
1: we love you and we just want you to love us i'm such a two (laughs) and i was thinking i just want to understand you i'm such a five (laughs) so on that note see you all next time much love peace out
0: thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of imperfection in training
1: We'll check in again next week, same time, same place. Until next time.